This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I am your host, Karen Vergara, Senior Journalist at Financial Standard. Today, we are discussing what's in store for financial advisors in 2024 in a regulatory sense. We welcome Phil Anderson, the General Manager of Transformation and General Manager of Policy and Advocacy at the Financial Advice Association Australia. Phil, thank you for your time, and it's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you, Karen, and great to be here. Let's start off by saying, what are the most important pieces of regulation that will affect advisors in 2024? Yeah, Karen, I think 2024 is going to be another big, exciting year in the financial advice space, but also more broadly in financial services. I think the the top of the list is the quality of advice review. We've already seen draft legislation for phase one, uh, and we're, uh, we've seen the government's announcement in early December about phase two and what we're likely to see there. We expect that we will see uh, draft legislation for phase two at some point, and we're also expecting the QAR legislation to go into the parliament and hopefully uh, be finalised and resolved uh, well before the end of the year. Uh, It's probably unlikely that we'll see a lot of the the rubber hit the road with that legislation until much later next year, and then uh, in some cases probably uh, beyond that into 2025. It's hard to believe that we're already talking about 2025, but yes, there there will be uh, a natural delay in terms of legislation being passed and also the uh, implementation period, because things don't always start immediately after the legislation is passed. I think in terms of other legislation that is directly related to financial advisors, we're going to see the start of the compensation scheme of last resort this year in 2024. April is the start date, but I think what's most relevant to advisors is that advisors start to pay for unpaid determinations beyond the 1st of July this year and may well see the first invoice for um, for costs that need to be paid to contribute to that fund. We've seen some early indication of how much the 10 largest financial institutions are exposed for, and we are talking very, very big dollars. Uh, The government's supposed to pay for the first year and then advisors pay beyond that. We'll be watching this one uh, with a great deal of interest. Beyond that, I think there's an indirect um, link in a number of pieces of legislation that are expected to, to happen in 2024. So there's the superannuation objective. There's the better targeted super concessions legislation, uh, which is currently with the Senate Economics Committee for review. Uh, That doesn't, um, it's not going to start immediately, um, but we should see the legislation play out during the course of 2024. Uh, I think we're also uh, inevitably going to see a lot of legislation as it relates to tax practitioners. So for those financial advisors who are also tax agents, there will be a significant volume of reform, much of it triggered by the PwC scandal. So we've already seen some draft legislation uh, or draft um, instruments around changes to the Code of Professional Conduct. Um, There are other changes around sanctions and so on. 
And look, I, I think more broadly, we'll see uh, more changes around scams um, and, and cryptocurrency. So I expect that uh, it will be a very busy year and, and the minister in particular um, will have a lot on his plate in 2024. February 16 is fast approaching and we know that ASIC extended its advisor registration deadline from February 1st. It's extended it quite a few times. Why is this so important to comply with and what are the consequences for non-compliance? Yeah, so it is a very topical issue at the moment. Uh, We have been working with ASIC on this, um, not only uh, at the current time, but we had been talking to them in the lead up to the legislation being passed that actually enabled them to move forward. This was supposed to actually start on the 1st of January 2022. It was a Royal Commission recommendation. It was part of the Better Advice Bill, but there was an issue with the legislation that needed to be fixed. And it took them ages to get that bill through the parliament. Ultimately, it only happened when the government negotiated a deal with the Greens, which was um, seemingly related to getting other parts of that bill, such as the franking credit changes through. So that meant um, by the end of November, the government uh, had the bill passed and royal assent had been obtained and it was okay to ASIC to move forward. We were always very uncomfortable about doing this over the course of the holiday period. Um, We were conscious that of the 16,000 advisors who needed to be registered, or or I should say just less than 16,000, some were automatically deemed registered because they had been on the tax practitioners, tax practitioner board register as at the 1st of January 22 and hadn't changed licensees, but everyone else needed to be registered by their licensee. Now, uh, the, the thing that's most important about this is that you cannot provide advice beyond that deadline, and that's from the 16th of February. So the, the first date you would be in breach is the 16th of February. So you can't provide financial advice if you're not registered. So it then becomes a a very serious contravention of the law to continue to provide advice if you're not registered. A lot of people are saying, well, what do you mean I need to be registered? I'm already on the financial advisor register, and if I'm on the FAR, then I must be registered. Well, there's an intricacy in this in that the licensees putting people on the FAR in the past has been more of a notification obligation. Now, registration is a little bit more comprehensive, and it includes the requirement to provide a declaration that you're a fit and proper person. So there are some material changes. Uh, It does start from the 16th of February, but the consequences are that you are breaching the law if you provide advice from the 16th of February onwards, if you're not registered. And by the way, it's very easy to check if you're registered. You just go onto the financial advisor register and you you look yourself up and the the first box, at the bottom of the first box, it says, are you registered? Reporting all internal dispute resolutions to ASIC took effect on January 1 of this year. Are advisors prepared for this, Phil? How does this sit alongside the reportable situations regime? that has been running for two years and which ASIC has criticised as that the, indus- the financial in- industry is flouting. Yeah, I, I think that uh, they're two very different things and I'll, I'll come back to that. So reporting to ASIC on IDR was something that um, ASIC has pushed and it's 
this process started back in 2019, I think. So it's been a long time coming. Uh, it is simply a matter of populating uh, a spreadsheet that uh, details the complaints that have been received by a licensee. Importantly, this is at the licensee level, so it's not at the advisor level. And the other thing that is really important with this is that most advisors don't even get any complaints. So they, they go a whole year without any complaints. So this has no impact on them. Unfortunately, one of the elements of this legislation is that you need to produce licensees and need to provide a report whether you've had any complaints or not. So a lot of licensees will be doing nil reports. So, so yes, it, it's going to be a way of ASIC uh, obtaining a record of how many complaints are made to each licensee, and they may use that for further purposes in terms of identifying where the, the potential weaknesses are. It's very different from the breach reporting regime because clients might complain. They might complain uh, about matters that are, are relatively trivial. They may complain um, but not have the, the, the right understanding and the complaint lacking um, basis. It might be that they're vexatious or frivolous and, and they're easily dismissed by the licensee. So it doesn't mean the advisor has done something wrong. Breach reporting is different in the uh, licensees have an obligation to report breaches of civil penalty provisions and, and other more serious matters. Uh, and they have to make a conclusion ultimately that something has been done wrong. And therefore, when that lands in ASIC, it could be considered a matter that needs to be investigated and it could ultimately result in consideration by the FSCP. So I think um, one is it's a much more preliminary, which is just the receipt of a complaint. The other one is, is more serious because it's a breach. It's either an actual breach or a likely breach, but the licensee has concluded that there's something that is probably wrong there, and thus they have to report it to ASIC. Now, just to be really clear, Karen, the obligation for breach, sorry, for, for IDR reporting is for the period up to the 31st of December, and it needs to be submitted to ASIC by the end of February. Uh, but it's a, new, it's a new obligation. It's alongside registration. It's another thing that licensees have to do and get right. It'll keep them very busy, I'm sure. Tell us more about the Australian Taxation Office updating one of its rules recently on the tax deductibility of financial advice fees. Um, that was in December. Why do you think this is important, not only for clients, but for the advice industry? Well, it is important because uh, um, clients, the cost of advice is a real issue for clients. And the extent to which that advice may be tax deductible will significantly uh, reduce the net cost to them. So what it is, it's updating a document, a, a draft ruling or ruling that was issued in 1995. So this is uh, such a long time ago, you know, it's nearly 30 years ago. Eventually, after a lot of work for the FAAA, um, along with support from uh, a couple of other entities, we got the tax office to agree to review this, uh, this ruling. 
Now, if you think back to 1995, the prevailing um, form of remuneration um, was was trail commissions and commissions. The FOFA reforms weren't even in, and neither were financial advisors providing tax financial advice services. And that's a really important thing. So we're working on this really old ruling. and what is, as an end outcome, what we've now got is greater clarity around the two different types of deductions. There's uh, 8.1 and there's 25.5. Now I'm talking about the Income Tax Assessment Act um, of 1997. 8.1 is general deductions. 25.5 is a deduction for tax um, advice. So financial advisors providing tax financial advice services, the advice may well be deductible to the client because it is with respect to the management of their tax affairs. So that's a really important extension here. It's finally recognizing the broader role that financial advisors play. So what we've got here is uh, is confirmation of the tax officer's view that initial advice is not deductible um, and, and that's still a subject for further debate. However, the extent to which it is a fee paid for tax financial advice, even where it's initial advice, may be deductible. Uh, I think the other thing about it is it's provided greater certainty about ongoing deductibility of advice under 8.1 and also under 25.5. The uh, examples that are in the uh, in this draft tax ruling are much more relevant and appropriate, much more modern. So that makes it much more useful guidance. Um, ultimately, when this is finalised, advisors will have a greater role in assisting their clients to understand what fees are deductible and what fees aren't. So I think there's going to be quite a lot more work for advisors in that, but certainly um, clients paying larger fees will be very motivated to get this sort of information. There will be issues around apportionment. Certain fees for related to certain advice won't be deductible, but portions of other fees will. We'll be going out to members in more detail on how to implement this once we get to a final outcome. Bill, we've covered a lot of ground here. Are there any other upcoming reforms or changes that advisors should be mindful of in 2024? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that we should take an interest in is what's happening in the tax practitioner space. Uh, this This is relevant for us because we're seeing what played out in financial advice after the Royal Commission is that the parliament responds, the media responds to scandal and the PricewaterhouseCoopers scandal of last year generated a lot of interest, sanity inquiries, and it ultimately led to some legislation being into the parliament. To the extent, and I mentioned before, that there was a uh, a deal done between the Greens and the government related to the bill that ultimately led to the commencement of the registration regime. That negotiation was with respect to the addition of new obligations for tax practitioners. It introduced a breach reporting regime for tax practitioners. It introduced a Dobbin regime for tax practitioners. Now, they might sound very familiar because they are things that the Royal Commission ultimately did 
to financial advice, or at least right. uh, led to the expansion of the breach reporting regime and the addition of, of the Dobbin regime. I think it's worthwhile just keeping an eye on what's happening in that space because no longer are financial advisors so much the focus of uh, of remediative um, legislation. You know, it is now very focused on on financial uh, on tax practitioners. The other thing I wanted to just mention was we saw last week the release of the Australian Law Reform Commission's final report into their inquiry into the Corporations Act mm-hmm. and in particular um, how it worked for the financial services sector. There are a number of really important recommendations in there, um, suggestions like the uh, taking all the stuff that related to financial services and putting it into a into a separate schedule and then putting all of the financial advice stuff together, which would make it so much easier to understand what a financial advisor's and licensee's responsibilities are. And also to pull together into a rule book all of the subsidiary uh, legislation, regulations, ASIC instruments, determinations from the minister, put that in one place so it's much easier to understand exactly what you're required to do. Now, I I don't expect we're going to see much in 2024 in terms of the rubber hitting the road with the ALRC recommendations. I think that's going to take a little bit longer. There's already a very full regulatory reform agenda that the minister and the department are dealing with. But it's one thing that we need to keep our eye on because it is going to happen. Uh, it'll have to be dealt with by the government at some course. Uh, and, and we expect that that will make a significant difference to the complexity of the regime that we all have to operate within. Excellent. Phil, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate you sharing your um, expertise and your, your, your knowledge with us. Thank you. It's great to be part of it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I am your host, Karen Vergara, and I hope to catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 